My name is Ryan Smith. And my name is Shannon Hartley. You're listening to the Eastern Oregon Connection, a show celebrating small town community and highlighting the people that make it great. We'll be talking with local business owners, nonprofits, city leaders, farmers, and a host of other interesting people. We hope you'll join us for some personal stories, laughs, local news and events, and an all-around good time. This is the EO Connection. Do you? I wish I was a great writer. Yeah, it'd be yeah. cool. Just like, what would you write about? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't think I don't have the mind for like sci-fi. I don't think um, it'd have to be something real. The weird thing about sci-fi is that like good sci-fi is tied in tied real themes, though. Whether it's you know war or politics or that's true. You know, like a good sci-fi, you don't. I mean, you, I guess the technology stands out as a piece but it's always like built in human themes you do know? you think <clears throat> do you think people like stephen king or like anyone who's really in the sci-fi <clears throat> um space do you think they think about it like throughout the day like commonly like they see something but they're like what if they had this twist <laughs> yeah because where does that come from i don't know because that's what i'm saying i don't ever think, think like of that those types of things like oh what yeah. if there was a a time machine in this restaurant. And <laughs> I sometimes think about like what the, is it because they're trying to get a message across and they want to make it interesting or are they seeing the world through that lens that they're writing about? Yeah. Cause yeah. like, I think the greats probably see it through that lens. Yeah. And then they put it to paper. I agree. It's gotta be. And you know, like the best stories, it seems like it doesn't matter what genre they're in. They follow the same storyline. Is it like, is it an underdog story? Is it overcoming great odds? Is it defeating evil? Is it like improving yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Seems like nonfiction or fantasy or sci-fi. <coughs> the themes overlap, but but what's your? So you haven't decided. It wouldn't be sci-fi. What would it be? Would it be self-help? Would it be fiction? I think it'd probably be like writing biographies because I'm about other people. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm just interested in other people's stories, which is maybe why I like doing this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So to dive into that, like, I think you would like John Krakauer, and I wish I could live a life like his. Are you familiar with his writing? I know the name. Uh, If you said some things that he's written, maybe. I guess I'll start with this question, which is like, if you had a writing style of biography and you, would it be, you know, journalizing, living amongst somebody's life for a while? And is it what kind of life? Is it like... (laughs) You know, are they business people? Are they local community members? Are they adventurers? Because, and I guess the reason I ask is like Krakauer is all done through the lens of like nature and the outdoors. And so Mm. that, that is what resonates with me with his, you know, writing style. (sighs) Yeah, that's a great question. Probably be the thing that initially comes to my mind is sports. (laughs) Yeah. Be something with sports. Mm-hmm. Just figures, coaches, players, you know, veterans, <clears throat> veteran players. Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's not shocking at all knowing you. And I think <clears throat> sports, uh, you know, definitely is a way to reach a lot of people. And we all have some kind of personal tie to sports in one way or another. W- would it be one sport specifically? <clears throat> or do you think it just you chase the storyline or the person? Well, I mean, my <clears throat> the sports I follow the most, basketball, football, uh, not a big baseball fan. I would love to be a bigger soccer 
or football fan. <laughs> um, I'm just not, I didn't, you know, I stopped playing when I was little and just never really followed it from there. But um, mostly basketball, football, uh, tennis, that'd be cool. Love tennis. Any Olympic athletes would be really cool as well. Um, track and field, love watching track and field. Mm-hmm. Gymnastics. Yeah, I don't know, any, any of that kind of stuff really. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think about Olympics and that's a good one because you can just pick somebody and basically say like, it's really broken down to like this specific thing. You are the best, you know, the best football yeah. player has to, has to be composed of several different things and they have to be a team player and have all these different fundamental things at base level. Let's just say like Michael Phelps mm-hmm. really just has to be like the fastest time on this specific event, but it's really not that simple. I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> yeah. if he was doing one event, if he, if he was just doing the like 400, I don't know what what it is, 400 like freestyle or whatever, and that's what he was good at. Then it, <laughs> then it would just be like doing one thing. But he's doing lots of different styles of swimming. Yeah, different lengths. Like, yeah. well, yeah, and it sounds simple. Okay, just be the fastest at doing this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> to be the fastest has, I mean, has just cracks the can of like, what does your thought process have to be like? What does your training and nutrition have to be like? Mm-hmm the sacrifices you have to make are probably unrelenting for, for, especially in the Olympics where it's like you get what, maybe two or three chances in your life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think with Michael Phelps, I remember hearing that for his, for breakfast during his training, he would eat like 10,000 calories. We might have to fact check me on that, but yeah. But I mean, I, I believe it as far as just output (laughs) in the water, calories in calories out. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Let's check with Siri. Siri, <laughs> Michael Phelps, 10,000 calories. Let's see if she brings anything up. Michael Phelps, 10,000 calorie diet. What the American swimmer. Yeah, there's stuff popping up for it. Olympics.com, GQ.com. <laughs> 10,000 calories. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the 10,000 is throughout the day or something. <laughs> Still, that's, a, that's an insane amount. And how do you get, <coughs> I wonder how you get like good calories out of that many too. Because I mean, a fella could put down 10,000 calories, get a couple of pies and a bucket of KFC, but <laughs> that's not the recipe for success in the water, I don't well, think. Well, from what I remember hearing, he has like a huge plate of pancakes in the morning. No kidding. Oh, just yeah. carbo load, huh? Just carb loading. Yeah. Because uh, he's, I mean, he's burning so many, mm-hmm. so many calories. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> just huge, like huge stack of pancakes and syrup and butter and <laughs> and then he just burns it off. Okay, so All Michael Phelps, if you're listening, <laughs> Shannon's interested in a, a writing career revolving sports, and we're going to start with you, so reach out. I love his story, <clears throat> how he, you know, this is just a like prodigy, essentially, or, you know, just crazy good from the time he was little, wins all the golds, and then has the whole marijuana thing come up, and he's like the bad guy, and then he decides to come back to the Olympics after, I don't know if he retired and then came back, or... What exactly? I don't think he had retired yet, but, and then comes back for his last Olympics and he's got a little girl and his wife and he's like matured so much and Did win, he, so wins, he ha- wins gold again. He got to have a goodbye tour, kind yeah. of looking back, but walking out on top kind of thing. His, his last Olympics was really cool. <gasps> really cool to watch because he, yeah. he did really well and he had his, his wife and his daughter, I think, yeah, daughter. And, uh, was just like, you could tell he was more happy than he ever was before. 
like he's just so happy having a family and coming back and you know giving his all to the sport and winning again and mm-hmm. it was really cool to watch that makes me think about like <coughs> so you personally because i've thought about this before maybe you know the level of fitness and endurance you have today is not the same as when you were 17 <laughs> 18 years old but, definitely not but you've got to feel like the x factor of just like the the mental toughness and just a, a better wisdom about you do you do you think about that with sports today and how you would do <laughs> how I would do in sports which sports or if you could maybe take that wisdom back with you like I wish I had the mindset I do now when I was you know in high school and college playing of, sports of uh just like having like working out and like giving it your all or what are you talking about exactly like mindset or well for me personally I don't I don't know about the effort being as much of the problem as just like the mental toughness and the adversity and stuff like that I think oh, yeah you know, like I was, I had a hard time not compiling mistakes where like, if this wasn't working well for me, it's frustrating. And you just being able to kind of erase that and move forward. Yeah. So that's something that I would, I could see I would do better at today, but where do you, where do you go with that? Yeah. I mean, it's such, you're so insecure at that time in life and where you're like competing with all your peers and your friends and for playing time or or whatever it may be. And for me, I think it's probably different for everyone because for me, I was a late bloomer. And so I was very athletic when I was little and was a star when I was little and then kind of lost that and was a late bloomer and everyone passed me, passed me by. And Mm. then, and then it started to come back like late sophomore, early junior year. Um, And so I felt like I was trying to catch up at that point, but people already had like their positions, you Mm. know, for, for a year already. And, um, yeah, I just felt like if I did anything wrong, it was, you know, I don't know, it was very detrimental to (laughs) to everything. Uh Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say I would, it's, you know, hindsight 2020, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you know, Oh, I'd have been the star quarterback and two. Yeah. 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 I always say it's like, man, if I would have been like a senior, my first year of college, because I feel like that was when I really like peaked. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man, yeah. would have been real different. Yeah. I, I remember that. So for you, was it like junior, senior year? I remember like getting in the weight room in those, I think it was around sophomore year where it all started to come together for me for like the strength and growth, where it was just like every time in the weight room, all of a sudden you're, you were just yeah. climbing, climbing, climbing. And it was. You know what's sad is that for me, I, I actually remember this pretty vividly. I always felt like I was catching up and, and until my last year of basketball and it was at the end of the year, I remember we were after practice, coach was making us run lines and I was never like the first person done with lines. And then out of nowhere, we're running lines and we had already had a hard practice where we were running a lot and I was beating everyone easily and I wasn't even tired. Like it was, it was so weird to me. It was like, it was just different. Uh (laughs) It was like, it was like that change of like, I'm beating everyone now. Yeah. But it was at that point we were coming to the end of our basketball season. Football season was our, was already done. Right. And then basketball season, those were my two biggest sports. And so it's like at the end of my other biggest sport Mm -hmm. is where I finally feel like I was like, it clicked. And I was like, I can do this better than other people (laughs) and I can outlast and I can, you know, I'm stronger and I'm, 
And then I went into tennis season and it was my best year of tennis. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, I wasn't an avid tennis player, but I played during the season, started in high school and worked my way up to uh, the the first uh, singles player. So first, Mm -hmm. second, third, fourth, um, and uh, was one match away from going to state in tennis that year too. So it's just like you felt like so then college rolled, but you know you felt like you just kind of missed the boat on the timing of yeah of totally missed exposure the boat. This is, exposure that matches your athletic ability kind yeah, of yeah 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 and uh, you know Malcolm Glad we've talked about Malcolm Gladwell yeah and uh, is outliers right uh, which are we talking about the hockey player story or yeah, yeah yeah like and, well just like the birth dates and when you're when <laughs> yes you're, it was outliers I want to say and go ahead yeah. unless you want me to. Well, just the idea of like wherever your birthday lands, if uh, during, like if you're set in a grade and you mature earlier, you are likely to, you know, compete better essentially and make the teams and and all of that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was outliers, but for the listeners, yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, the study was basically that I think in Canada, they found like 75, 80%, something like that of the players that were on professional hockey rosters were born in the months January, February, March. (laughs) And I mean, it was tiered higher in January and sort of tapered down uh, distributing throughout the year. And so you're saying like, why, why would 70, 80% of professional hockey players be born in a three month window? That's only 25% of the year. Right. And the discussion broke down basically <clears throat> that what what the discussion you're referring to, which is like, you know, your size and your growth Maturity. leads. Yeah. It, so it shows like, you know, as though you're performing better on the field at a young age. So you, you know, if at a young age you stand out because you're a little bit older or bigger than the other kids in your grade, you then may get more, you know, attention and traction as your career is going with coaching and stuff like that. And, and long story short, from that perspective, that that's what lends itself to <laughs> yeah yeah and so kind of an arbitrary birth date system that well like and I would say mm. for me my birthday is actually in February but I would say I was a late bloomer so it doesn't really take into account like well, this was in Canada and I think our school year you'd be right in the middle probably right because isn't the birth date yeah. window between like September and June or something yeah so, so I was kind of right in the middle yeah but, um, and I would I mean I would say for myself it probably helped me athletically and ac- academically that my birthday's in October. So I'm kind of on the older side of, mm-hmm. of my class for sure. Yeah. But I think his, his study is, you know, based on that, you know, averages. And, uh, I don't think it's, <laughs> well, it's funny. I was going to say, I don't think it necessarily mm-hmm. takes into account like the outliers, those who just happen to grow later than others. And I feel like I fit into that. So like if I would have been, a you know, um, if my parents would have held me back another year, like I feel like I definitely would have been that like February birthday where it helped me excel a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway. And yeah, then I got into college and, you know, started playing pickup ball with a lot of the <clears throat> college players and that kind of thing. And I, you know, got asked multiple times, like, 
did, did you play or do you play here or do you, like did you play somewhere <laughs> it's like nah what are you doing played, playing pickup just, just played in high school <laughs> but well, now you asked me now how i would <laughs> yeah i'm just uh i'm nowhere near the shape i need to be to be playing sports at this point so. well, you got your mind right that's the biggest piece the body can follow but so uh well shoot i guess we haven't really thrown an intro but this is uh ryan and shannon with the eastern oregon connection we're just having a good time kicking back and and you know, yeah, I can like a couple of buddies here, but what we're here for is to, to kind of tell Shannon's story. Um, it was hard for us to pick a specific time to do this because it's not like we had some one specific thing we were trying to promote. It was kind of just, we have to pick a time that it's a snapshot in time of Shannon's life because, you know, he's, he's got a lot going on and it's been great. So um, where do you want to start, buddy? Well, I guess I'll essentially start where we ask a lot of people. The first question is like, Tell us your backstory. Where'd you grow up? Like, um, yeah. you know, what'd you like doing as a kid? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like there's been little snippets that people have probably been able to piece together from you throughout our podcast, but it'll be fun to, to kind of get a deep dive and hear, you know, straight from you, um, you know, your story, but born in Pendleton, of course we know that, um, but go from there. Where'd you start with school? Not born in Pendleton, oh. actually born in Springfield, Oregon. So, which is funny because yeah, I just you, moved you back, back from Springfield. Mm-hmm. Okay. But um, yeah, I was born in Springfield, Oregon at uh, Mackenzie Willamette Hospital. If there's any others out there who were, <laughs> who were born at Mackenzie Willamette Hospital. By the way, I got a little, a little tickle in the back of my throat so that you guys might hear throughout this podcast. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, until I think my family moved to Pendleton when I was about three. Do you even remember anything from Springfield earlier? I want to say I have like little like pictures in my mind, but I don't know if I just made those up at some point (laughs) or if they're actual memories. Sure. And what made Pendleton the destination? Do you know? Family. This was where my my mom was from. Um, uh, All her family was essentially in this area. My dad has uh, not not a lot of family in, in Pendleton, but he has a lot of family in the like Eastern North central Oregon area, like small town, like mm. Wasco, um, Morrow, grass Valley, like real small areas. And Unless like, you're in the area, you're just saying, where's that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like North central Oregon, like South of the Dalles, um, that kind of thing. So Condon as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, just, just lots of family over in this area and, so yeah, from, from age three on, grew up in Pendleton. Um, absolutely, from you know what I remember, absolutely loved my childhood. Didn't grow up in, a, you know, it was like, I don't know, what, I'd say lower, I wouldn't even say middle class. Like we were pretty poor <laughs> growing up. <laughs> we grew up on the, like the, the wrong, t- wrong side of town and... Um, but I absolutely loved growing up in Pendleton. Like I never, I never really thought too much about, (laughs) about, you know, how much my parents made or anything like that, because they did a great job of making sure I was able to play all the sports and, um, do the things I wanted to do. That was going to be my question is where, I mean, as long as you felt like your, your needs and your, your aspirations were met, you do, you probably didn't even know any better. Yeah. You don't, you don't really think about it as long as you're like getting to do the things you want to do. And I, I really commend my parents for, um, you know, me my brother and my sister, like getting us involved in, in things that we, that we could enjoy. And, um, it speaks a lot to, 
to them and, and their parenting and, um, you know, giving us what they could, um, because, you know, they, they really didn't make a whole lot of money. And so, but I feel like that also speaks to a small town, like in a small town community, you've got, um, you know, op- there's opportunities for lower income families, for kids to get involved. And, and, um, so yeah, I just had, I remember like riding my bike all around town during summers with friends and it just feeling like a safe city. I never <clears> felt <throat> I never felt in danger anywhere I went. Um, and I had a pretty loose childhood. Like <laughs> I was going to ask you, did you have like, so t- just tell me what like summer days looked like. Yeah. I mean, it honestly could be, I could be gone from home for like two days and like forget to tell my mom, like she would like probably check in with me at night um, or make me call her um, that type of thing. But like there'd be times where like I, w- you know, wouldn't be home for two or three days. <laughs> yeah. Just running with the buddies. Right. Exactly. So I'm trying to picture like some, some TCB, some tennis court baseball. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What, what else do these summer days look like? Uh, well, (laughs) when I got older, they started at, you know, like nine years old. Um, that's when baseball started in the summers and started doing all-star baseball, which, you know, we've talked with others like Blake about, you know, playing all-star baseball. And that was sports. Once I started getting into sports, that was just, that was it for me. <laughs> I was sold. Yeah. I was sold on sports and, and competing. And, uh, um, I was pretty good when I was, when I was little. So, um, when, when I started playing baseball, you can start playing all-stars at, at nine and 10 years old. Right. Yep. And, and normally they have m- mostly 10 year olds on the team, but there were th- three of us that got selected as nine-year-olds. You made it as a nine-year-old, nice. Made it as a nine-year-old, yeah. Um, well, just real quick, because of that discussion we had about just that extra year of growth and how much of a difference that makes, especially at <clears> nine <throat> and 10, when you've really only been playing baseball for a few years, that extra year makes a big difference. So yeah, you don't see a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. So it was <clears throat> me, uh, Ryan Hamilton. Uh, you know Ryan, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, bit. I kind of missed the boat on living in Pendleton with him, but we ran into each other through sports and stuff over the years. I know who he is. Yeah. Yeah, because he had moved like right after. Yeah, like you I think came, we pretty much you... traded a Ryan for a Ryan around the same time. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Yeah. That's that's exactly what happened because I think he moved. It was either right after freshman or right after sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And then you came. Yeah, I had right some shoes year. to fill. Ryan was a popular guy. And <laughs> yeah, cool, uh, good sports and just a good guy around the area and stuff like that. Yep, yep. Uh, um, so shout out to Ryan if you're listening. <laughs> and <laughs> so then, you uh, and Ryan, who's the other nine-year-old? Uh, I think it was Jake Talbot. I think we were Richard. (laughs) So yeah, it was me, Taub and and Hammy. And, uh, and it was just a really, really fun time, um, going to state and, uh, you know, staying in the hotels with the teams and going out to dinners and stuff. And (laughs) looking back is like, my family was always the family that was like, stay at the like cheaper hotel (laughs) and, but continental breakfast and everything. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of times, uh, you know, I, like other families would let me stay with them at the hotel or, or yeah. something like that. And, um, you know, they'd want to go to the nice restaurants and my family would be like, we're going to Jack in the Box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that type of thing. You don't think about as a kid how, uh, you know, for the parents too, it's almost like a social, those are a lot of people that parents are not interacting or around each other in a lot of ways. Parents are not super social in general. <laughs> By the time they reach that age, you know, I just think about like all the different parents that have another reason to kind of come together and, and socialize and, but that's true. Yeah, that's, so. Well, that's what I hope to have as a parent. Like I, I want to, 
my kids to join whether whatever it is a team uh, you know whatever yeah. it might be like i would love to get to know the other parents who and hang out with them and um, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I look forward to that. I think it'll be fun as we, as we I mean, we're kind of getting just started with that stuff, but I think, you know, the fact that you're looking back at these times fondly and you're also willing to acknowledge like the, the sacrifice and the challenge from the parenting side of that, you're, you're prepared to do it. So. I don't think I did at the time. <laughs> no, absolutely. You can't. No, at the time I'm like, why can't we go to Texas Roadhouse? <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it's hard to, I mean, even trying to broach those conversations as a parent sounds difficult. How did, did you, yeah. what did your parents give you answers? Do you remember anything? That's a good question. I don't, I don't really remember. I do. Honestly, I was probably, I was probably a bit of a brat about all of it. You know, I just always wanted to stay at the same hotel as the team and I always wanted to go to the dinners and yeah. Um, I don't know. They, you know, they probably just told me that they, you know, we can't afford it. Can't do it. Um, but I don't know. It didn't, you know, I still spent plenty of time with sure. the team and it all worked out. Yeah, this wasn't like <laughs> a, a big deal breaker issue looking back. But I'm trying to think of where that changed for me because I feel the same way. I mean, I got bratty stories from being a kid. But then I also remember being in high school and having like that pang in my guts about like buying sh- new shoes because mm. I felt bad, you know. Interesting. About did you ever get that too? I don't know where that changed, but. That was just, I don't know, I guess there came a point in time where I just knew my family didn't have that much money. So it's like, I I would used to look through East Bay Magazine. Did you ever get East Bay? Uh, It doesn't ring a bell now. Oh yeah, well we would get East Bay Magazine and they always had, it was, you know, like a catalog for sports. Just a clothing catalog, sports. Yeah, they had sports shoes, pretty much anything sports related you Mm -hmm. could buy from the catalog. And uh, so we would... Sorry, we would always get uh, the East Bay magazine and, you know, they'd have like the 70, 65, 75, 85, up to hundreds of dollars shoes in there. And I just, I couldn't even look at them, you know, (laughs) I was like, all right, where's the best? This is how I I guess started to, you know, love looking for a good deal and frugal, you know, because I'd start looking at the magazine and say, all right, what, what is like a shoe that looks really cool to me, but is like for a good price. And mm. like, that's, that's probably where, yeah, I started to, um, started to be more frugal was looking at East Bay magazine and, and yeah. trying to like fit in to have cool shoes, but also like these ones are on sale like right now. Yeah. Um, cause it is all pushing like the new and exclusive. Is, of course. Is well, the... and you've always got the, you know, the, the friends on the team who have the, the brand new shoes and yeah. the brand new, everything the stealth bats with the composite <clears throat> middle exactly piece. yeah the super nice stealth yeah. bats and i come in with my slam and sammy from walmart and <laughs> jacked two home runs in the state championship <laughs> with the walmart bat and no one else hit a home run in the state championship against murray, murray so <laughs> that's funny i yeah i remember baseball being the first thing where i kind of learned that lesson about like the gear and I mean, oh, like, so expensive. oh, and from one year to the next, it's like the bat technology <clears throat> cannot change that much yeah. every single year, especially but, for a catcher. Oh, have a yeah, lot of gear. definitely catchers for sure. And usually the team provided, but like a bat, I mean, at the time you could buy a brand new bat for 300 bucks or you could buy, you know, a brand new bat of last year's model for almost half the price. It's like, yeah. So, yeah, start to think about that stuff. But it's probably why I am like so against buying a new car now. <laughs> like, there's no way I'm buying this new car. It's like I'm going to get one that's 
a little older, like not super old, but like yeah, yeah that I can Whatever get Whatever makes a sense for your budget that you're not going to be living out of the mechanic shop with, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I agree. I have a hard time picturing myself ever buying a brand new vehicle. Yeah. But. And I know, you know, some people, uh, it can be a good deal for some people if you get it on sale or if they have a good, like great deal going on. Um, but yeah. And, yeah. And other people have budgets that are different from mine. I mean, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's, or, or can they pay cash for it? Like, sure. you know, all these different things that you have to think through, but yeah. But um, so, so <clears throat> sports, I guess it's as kind of your standout, you know, memory from childhood, I guess. Do you feel like, you know, there's schools or any other things that, that really stand out that made Pendleton or your childhood exceptional? Uh, yeah, I went, to, <laughs> I went to, um, West Hills on the North Hill. So I actually got to go. So my mom really wanted me to go to the, to, to West Hills and she worked in the school system. So I don't know. I don't think there was a, uh, like boundary, whatever, what's it called? Like when you're, you're in this oh, section of town, so you go to this like school. Like the zoning stuff? Zoning. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think there was any type of zoning um, when I was growing up until my last year of elementary school, which was fifth grade. Mm. Um, because I went to West Hills, uh, Lincoln and then West Hills um, all the way through fourth grade. And then fifth grade came up and they started the zoning stuff. And so I lived on the Southeast Hill. And so I was set to go to Washington. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, once you get past elementary school, the ride's pretty much the same for everybody, right? One middle school, one high school for Pendleton. Uh, yeah, one middle school, one high school. With the I exception will say, of like, yeah, the alt school system and um, stuff. But. Going back, so halfway through fifth grade, a, a student did drop out at West Hills and went back to Pilot Rock. And uh, and so I was actually able to go back to West Hills um, halfway through my fifth grade year. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> That's funny. I have a simmer, similar memory of, I, I moved a lot as a young kid. We moved into a lot of different houses, but we usually stayed in the Salem area. But I think it was like fourth or fifth grade that we actually did move out of West Salem and across town for a little while. And I don't know what the process looked like, but my mom, I remembered, you know, went through the lengths of trying to keep me in the same school and continuity with my friends and stuff, which I was really grateful for because, mm-hmm. yeah, those are, those are big changes and getting That's through school big and changes. stuff. But but anyway, so... So, yeah, middle school came along, and middle school, in a in a town like this, when there's only one middle school, and you've got, at the time, I think there was four, either four or five, probably four elementary schools <clears throat> all coming together into one middle school. It's a really exciting time. You get to meet so many new, new kids mm-hmm. and have classes with kids that you've never known before, and uh, it just opens up the door for so many... <clears throat> more opportunities for friendships for kids that you just didn't know because you didn't go to the same school as them. Mm. Um, so yeah, middle school was was uh, really cool. Um, <laughs> but I will say during those years is like when other kids started growing and, you know, getting up towards eighth grade. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I uh, <laughs> it was like, it was like the time of my life where I like lost my athleticism and just kind of, <laughs> kind of got chubby and slow mm. and... Yeah, middle school just for those years of like thirteen through fifteen or whatever, just it was strange for me. Just awkward. Yeah, it's it, it, that's a good way to put it. It's just <laughs> awkward. There's just a lot of changes and growth and trying to you know make that transition from like child to I don't know halfway adult or something. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, so middle school it was a fun time, but it was an awkward time. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get in high school, and. Uh, 
just kind of, kind of continuing that, like being awkward until, until you fully grow. Like, yeah. Um, but when you get into high school, the thing you look forward to is like driving. So it's yeah. like you get your permit. Go out to lunch. You go, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get to go out to lunch. Um, so I ended up getting my license when I was 16. Within two hours of getting my license, I got a speeding ticket. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> did going you take up, driver's ed? It was going, uh, yeah, I did take driver's ed. You did ed. take driver's ed. I did. Uh, Chuck West. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't super rigorous. Is that it wasn't <laughs> super rigorous. Technically, I don't even think I finished all my hours, but I passed. <laughs> oh, jeez. So. It was um, a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got, a, I got a speeding ticket two hours. I, I, it was during lunch. You know, it was like the first day I got my license and I took a friend out to lunch. I think I took Brandon Bradley out to lunch. <laughs> and uh, I was came back and then I saw Beaudre Boston. He's driving his truck and he speeds up and I speed up and I just like zoom zoom off and just coming up towards where like the um, that convenience store is now. It's called, what's it called? The short stop. Short stop, yeah. Yep. The cop was sitting right there <laughs> as I'm like zooming up on Card Car- 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 <laughs> Avenue. Mm. and uh, just get yeah pulled over didn't yeah. even have an actual license i had my paper uh license that, yeah. they, that they give you so that was rough <laughs> <laughs> lesson learned or were you kind of a crazy driver for those early years uh still a crazy driver really yeah no did definitely didn't learn my lesson i actually have a wild story um of getting pulled over by the cops and getting a like him pulling his gun and <laughs> was this the whole like the mirror wasn't pointed behind you on the yeah highway? so what happened was um, we went to senior year we went to one of my friends' graduations in uh, uh, Junction City Oregon it's <laughs> a really small town Oregon and on the way back um, we took my friend's car and I was driving. And I didn't fix the the rear view mirror, so it was down. He's a lot shorter than me. Brian Carter, shout out. Carter and Clem, (laughs) hey guys. (laughs) And yeah, he was driving the day before, and the mirror was down, and I didn't fix it. And we were, I was, (laughs) blasting music in the car. And there was four of us in the car. Mm. And uh, Was it you, Carter, Clem, and... Me, uh, yeah, me, Carter, Clem, and Jones. (laughs) Hey, Travi. Travis Jones. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're coming back from this graduation and all of a sudden I, I either hear or look up and I see the lights behind me and I'm like, Oh shoot. So I pull over cop gets out of the car. I roll the window down and, uh, I look in my side view mirror and he pulls out his gun and he's like, get your hands out the window, get your hands out the window. And, uh, I'm like, Oh shoot. And Carson, is in the back sleeping with his headphones on and he like wakes up. He's like, what the, what the heck is going on? <laughs> we're like, Carson, get your hands out the window. <laughs> and, uh, so the cop is getting closer and closer and he gets up to the car and I think he sees that, um, I think he sees that we're not, we're not a sketchy situation going on. Yeah. And <clears throat> he puts his gun away and just starts asking his questions. He's like, like what the hell are you doing? I've been following you for seven miles, six, like six or seven miles. That explains the gun situation, right? I mean, he exactly. saw a guy that wasn't pulling over and going, "All right, something might be exactly, yeah. exactly." And so he starts asking questions, he's like, "What the hell are you doing?" And we're like, "We had, we had no idea." <laughs> sorry, so sorry. Like, 
Yeah, he was like, he was, he said he was confused because yeah. we weren't like speeding up and trying to pull away or anything. Yeah. But because he was, cha- he, he was following us for so long and there's four people in the car. None of us noticed. Yeah. Like Carson was asleep, but, um, I don't remember if Travis <laughs> was, I don't remember all who was awake, but, um, the music was really, really loud. So that's probably why we couldn't hear the sirens. Mm. Um, but also like none of us saw the lights either, I guess. And, uh. So <laughs> he told, yeah, because he was following us so long, he told us that he was having a spike, spike strip set up um, a mile down the road. And then if we took a left out to like Fruitville or wherever, um, he had a, you know, cops waiting there. If we took a right out to Nyssa, um, he had <laughs> he had cops waiting there. <laughs> so, so he was probably l- relieved to it, see this thing just de-escalate yeah, so when he finds I'm out sure. what the deal was. but I'm sure. Um but yeah, so th- that that was crazy. And how did um, that end? Did you get a ticket or? So he gave me a ticket, um, but he marked it a misdemeanor, um, which I didn't really know what a misdemeanor was at the time. And I looked it up and the defi- definition at the time was like no no less than six months in prison or something like that. In, j- in jail. Yeah. Whatever. And I was like, what the? <laughs> like, what do I, uh, I don't know what to do. And so I had to go back to Idaho for a court date. Oh, so this happened in Idaho. Happened in okay. I, in Idaho, right mm-hmm. outside of Caldwell, I think. Um, and or per, Perma, uh, you said Parma, Parma, Idaho. Okay, because I, I think you said Fruitland <laughs> earlier too. So you're not far from the Oregon border, but in Idaho, there, yeah. Yeah, Fruitland. I might have said Fruitville earlier or something. Yeah, <laughs> Fruitland. Yeah, small farm town over there. But. Yeah, so we weren't too far from the border. Um, but yeah, I had to go back. I had to go back there for my first court date to set another court date. And while I was there for my first court date, <laughs> I remember the judge saying, "Does it was like September thirteenth work or something like that?" And I was in my mind, I was like, "That's Roundup." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, I told the judge, "I was like, uh, that doesn't work. Is there another time that works?" Oh man! And so he was fine with it. Oh, we, okay. we we set a different date. Um, I didn't tell him like, oh, that's round a week. Yeah. I just told him that that date didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so we set a different date. I think the, co- the court system got the date wrong. They mixed it up that we had scheduled for oh, a no, different you got time. Oh, like a failure to appear or something? F- failure to appear. I had a warrant out for my arrest. I get this text from my dad out of nowhere one day and he texts me and he says, uh, you have a warrant out for your arrest in Idaho. <laughs> and I'm like... What the heck? Um, and it, like people have been calling me like crazy. And I don't know why I didn't on my phone. But um, yeah, my dad had been trying to call me. And so finally, I think my, I think Brian got a hold of me. I was at Brian's house. And he's like, hey, you need to talk to your dad or something. You have worn out for your rest. I'm like, <laughs> oh, that was serious? I thought my dad was joking. Um, so yeah, nothing really happened with that. Like I think we ended up calling them and, and figuring it out. Yeah. Um, and it ended up getting dropped down to uh, uh, just a speeding ticket. Sure. Which is initially what it was going to be. He clocked me going, you know, 15 over or something coming out of Parma, Idaho. Mm. Um, like a, going 60 and a 45 or something like that, which I still don't believe I was, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my that's my uh, cop chase your wild chi- story. Wild child. Being, being tracked for six miles. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about 
you know, another piece, I guess, that obviously is, was really important from this, this sort of timeline in your life, which is uh, Jenny. Yeah. And so I was thinking about how, you know, a lot of people that knew you, <clears throat> I just want you to go back to sort of that, that, uh, that the high school uh, Shannon. Yeah, I guess the, well, the transition of like high school Shannon and then, you know, I think um, you you have an interesting story of kind of like, I mean, not like a reckless wild child, but a little bit of like a, you know, a, a kind of social outgoing party social guy partying and stuff like that, that kind of got settled down by the preacher's daughter, quite literally, you know, <laughs> so um, it t- just take me back to those days. Yeah. Yeah. I so, just, I mean, people could probably put it together, but like in high school, I was... I very much like loved being a social person out at, you know, hanging out with friends all the time, um, going to parties, mostly just for the social aspect of it. Um, not that that was the only reason I was um, there, but <clears throat> and the, uh, that's probably the, the biggest thing for me was just being social. I love being social, being around people and just that atmosphere. And so like that in sports is what I remember from high school, like hanging out with friends, being social and sports. Like I could have cared less about school. I just did school so I could play sports. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that's, uh, lots of people thought I was like a pothead. I was, I was never really a pothead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's kind of who I was during that time. And, um, yeah, my relationship with Jenny is an interesting one um, because we lived completely different lives. Like you said, you know, she was a pastor's kid, um, never partied or anything like that. And um, not to be mistaken for somebody who was not like very active and socially and artfully, you know, involved. I, yeah. We're talking about mm-hmm. you today, but obviously Jenny is like an incredibly talented and, and busy person, but go forward. Very much so. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's funny to look back in, um, in our minds, just see how God was like kind of working all this together because I mean, Jenny and I went to school together from the time we're in first grade, you know, there's pictures of us in first grade together. Um, and we always knew each other and, uh, you know, respected each other, I think for who we were, and um, always kind of liked each other a little bit, honestly. <laughs> like I remember crushing on her in elementary school, and we, <laughs> you know we've got a whole uh, love star- story starting back in first grade. I remember getting a Valentine from her um, in first grade, and it said to Shannon um, from Jenny. But under, I could tell that um, under the from was an erased out love, uh-huh. and I was like. In first grade, I was like, this girl loves me. <laughs> and I, I remember think, thinking about that for like two weeks during school, oh, my yeah. first grade. And I remembered it all the way up until um, we started dating right after high school. Um, so it was like God had started like sewing this thing together, like starting in first grade is what it feels like to mm-hmm. us because um, we never ran <clears throat> in the same friend group or anything, but we did always have this common... Um, thing of we were both in choir um and we really loved we really loved choir Mm -hmm. and um that was probably unique for someone like me who was part of like a jock and part of the party scene but i i also loved choir and like singing in in, with people and and that kind of thing um 
and I would always see her in choir and she was kind of one of the star singers as well, um, that you kind of just marvel at. Um, and also our friends were, our sisters were really good friends. Oh, okay. And so that was another thing that kind of helped tie it all together. Who was Haley friends with which sibling? Uh, Monica. Okay. Yeah. So my sister Haley was good friends with her sister Monica. Right. And they were always trying to get us to go to dances together. Oh, yeah. And so they were and, playing matchmaker. And... <clears throat> exactly. They, they always tried to play matchmaker. Um, I actually told my sister one time, or I don't know if I told my sister, but this is what I told myself. And I've told Jenny this is like, I never would have invited Jenny O'Grady to a dance because that was like more serious. Like if I'm going to invite like you weren't worthy or prepared or something for that or. Well, I probably felt that too, but also like if I'm going to invite her to a dance, it's going to be something bigger. Like I can't just invite her to a dance and like, I would want to, I, <laughs> I've always wanted to be with this girl essentially. <laughs> so you um, knew that you didn't, you wanted to, if it was going to happen, it was going to have to be big, something yeah, bigger. Like sure. I really wanted to give it a shot if, if I was ever going to, ask this girl anything um <laughs> i remember i remember walking out of choir and <clears throat> being so nervous to walk next to her that i would wait for her to leave first like we both got up same time grabbed our backpack backpacks we're about to leave the choir room and just being too nervous to walk next to her <laughs> that i would wait a little longer till she left and then i would go <laughs> because it was just like too nervous to, to talk to her can you describe what makes a difference between her and like at the time, obviously it's your wife now, but yeah. at the time, what do you, what makes her different from like the hundreds of other girls in school and yeah. stuff like that? Just, I don't, I think it's, you know, I think everyone has like something, um, you know, when they look at another person and there's just something special about that person that you see in them. And for me <coughs> with Jenny, it was just, always, she just always glowed to me. Like she always just oozed, um, happiness and joy and, and just like glowed, um, and I actually, in choir, I told my friend Adam Lang, uh, <laughs> jokingly at the time, I was like, I'm going to marry that girl someday. <laughs> Maybe joking, not joking, or what do you think? I mean, I was definitely, I had the feelings. Sure. You know, I had the feelings. Like, I could marry that girl someday. Like, that'd be tight. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd nowhere, be tight. Nowhere in my mind was I like, I'm actually going to marry that girl well, someday. Well, sure. Oh, yeah. You can't picture the rest of your life when you're, you know, 12 or whatever you were at the time, I guess. But Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, do you feel <laughs> like um, that kind of came and went throughout the years of school as you knew Jenny? Or do you feel like it was just kind of always, like, on the back burner, like, I have to be ready for that when it happens? Or what do you, what was your... Oh yeah, it wasn't something I ever th really <coughs> ever thought about because like I said we didn't run in the same friend groups or anything. She yeah. was kind of like a nice thought like, oh, she'd be like a <clears throat> awesome person to date and like a potential wife someday. But it's like yeah. that's not in my in the cards for me, you know. Sure. Didn't really feel like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, I mean, I guess it was what at the end of high school or right after that you guys started dating. We started talking um <clears throat> like right before graduation. It was we really started talking um, at, the, at the grad party at the rack. I think it was like right around that time. Did you go to that? Yeah, yeah. The the all nighter <laughs> at the rack or whatever they did for seniors. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it was that night, and uh, and so we just started talking throughout the summer. She actually got us uh, texting so that we could talk mm. throughout the summer. Um, and we finally set up a date, even though I I. Gave her the whole spiel. I was like, 
I was like, <laughs> like, this is fun, but like, we're, we're in very, two very separate worlds and, um, you know, we're going off to college and, and that whole thing. And she was really the one who pushed it. Like, well, let's just like, let's go on a date and, and, you know, just for fun or practice or, you know, f- you know, whatever, like literally it was like, this is a practice date. That was kind of the joke for us. <laughs> um, so we, <clears throat> we ended up going on a date. I remember what she was wearing on her first date. She was wearing white pants and this like aqua blue top. Um, she looked really pretty. We went to <laughs> Dairy Queen, <laughs> shared a blizzard, and then we went and saw Inception, Ooh. which I still don't understand. <laughs> I think Nobody I've, does. I think I've only seen it once or twice, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then after the movie, I took her back home and she was like, she was like, uh, I want to take you to that spot that I was telling you about. And, uh, at, you know, after everyone goes to sleep, like she, essentially she was sneaking out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like the first bad thing <laughs> she had done. Uh-huh. So uh, I came back. I don't even know what time it was, but like after everyone was asleep and um, picked her up and then we went to the spot and just like honestly talked for, um, talked for a long time, got to know each other and, and we just connected. And, um, yeah, I mean, long story short, uh, we really enjoyed hanging out and, uh, and we were going off to college though. And it was, it was a hard decision, but like, I wanted to give it a shot of like, well, let's, let's try it. Like, let's give it a shot. She was going down to Southern California. I was going to (coughs) Eastern Oregon university. And so we're going to be, you know, thousands of miles apart or however many miles that is. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so we end up doing four years of long distance relationship. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. What do you think looking back? Because on one hand you could think like you're so young and you're going into college, you don't know what life has ahead of you and you're committing yourself so seriously to something like this, you know? And on the other hand, you know, it's like, wow, to look back and say, even in the early stages of your relationship, you guys navigated some of the most, you know, trying and growing times. So when you look back at that, do you feel like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we did that? Or do you think like, wow, that relationship really like helped kind of keep me on a strong path? Or what what are your thoughts take you on that? Yeah, no, it was, it was actually really helpful for us to, to have the long distance. Um, Sounds counterintuitive, but like you said, just with, in that time of life, life, when you're having so much growth and in different areas and learning new things and meeting new people and figuring out who you are and what you believe. Um, if we would have been, if like, say we would have went to the same college, um, I think there just would have been way too much pressure, um, on our relationship. And I, I don't think it would have worked. You mean just like socially because we're going to go do these things together, be around these people, and we have to kind of run in these overlapping circles or yeah, just, just that our lives have to involve each other well, as much as they do this growth of ourselves? Or? I think I think her going down to college and me, I, it gave me time to really figure out, um, you know, who I wanted to be, uh, my beliefs, <clears throat> and nothing was pressured. It gave me you know, a, a, a good on-ramper, you know, just a, just a good amount of time to really figure out myself without having the pressure of um, her and the relationship, like, right there, um, 
yeah, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I just feel like there would have been a lot more pressure if we were close proximity, the relationship. Yeah. Like, the relationship would have had to move a lot quicker, I feel like, if we were close proximity. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And it, w- it would have been too much for me at the time. But given that we had the distance, I was able to come out of my old self and and, and, and learn from from there. And it, um, it was just really good for me. And, and Jenny, honestly, you know with the faith aspect of everything like she really she was a prayer warrior for me you know she always tells me like she was she was praying for me a lot during that time Mm -hmm. um and really like discipling me as well because i had lots of questions about about faith and what it means and a lot of pushback and and all of that stuff and you know i can truly say that she like was a disciple for me um to christ and, uh, but yeah, like having the distance gave me time to, like, I didn't have to fully not be who I was in high school, but I had time to kind of come out of that. And, um, yeah, college was just really good. Like it gave us time to be both be independent and, um, not rely on the relationship to, to make us happy. Like we had to fill our time with, you know, finding new friends and meeting new people and doing our faith journey on our own. And not to mention the school and the studying. Yeah. And the school and the studying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a, it was really healthy for us doing the long distance. And I, I will for sure say, cause I've seen it so many times, um, other couples, I think it's just fit for some personalities. I think there are some personalities that that just really can't make long distance like that work. Mm. Um, it just so happens that Jenny and I were two personalities that that could um, make it work. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's for everyone or that everyone should give it a shot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think... At least not for four years. <laughs> obviously, yeah, there's so many challenges that you have to go through, which is like patience and sacrifice and just... Um, those questions that you couldn't help but ask yourself throughout the journey. Like, is this, you know, especially day to day when you can't see that person, it's like, man, you almost feels probably at times like you're sacrificing a lot for what it's not a certain or clear future. And you're getting through like, you know, weekends where your friends are getting together and doing stuff and you're kind of, you know, on hold for somebody that you can't see or be around. Yeah. Yeah. Some really challenging (laughs) times for sure. And I mean, I remember that with Carly and I, and, um, it was definitely, di- I mean, we kind of had like an in-between distance thing where she was, you know, that stretch of being in Walla Walla in nursing school and I was in LaGrande at Eastern. And so, you know, usually weather permitting, we could catch each other on weekends and stuff if we wanted to, but still throughout the course of a week, you kind of are living your own life too. And yeah, trying to figure out, it's silly to think about, um, but I look back at college and think like, yeah, obviously the education and the you know, all those things, but the other intangibles like living on your own and keeping a clean home and just learning like dishes and grocery shopping and stuff. (laughs) That's such crazy stuff that you don't, you really, a lot of people I think don't get exposed to in big doses until you're 19, 20 years old. And I didn't do laundry or cook for myself until college. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, this is, so I always talk about like, I, I think that community college is a great fit for a lot of people to start because I think that it's it's really affordable and a lot of times you don't have to relocate long distances and you can see if college is going to be the right fit for you. If you're coming out of high school as a traditional student, 
you know, that can make that transition a little bit easier for that first couple of years to figure out the lifestyle and the responsibilities on top of college and stuff. And then in most cases, if you decide this is going well, you know, you've got some good studies under your belt at a good price and you can transfer anywhere you want to go. So I had a good experience with Blue Mountain and I, I think that community colleges are a good option. A lot of people should think about, but mm-hmm. just kind of a side tangent there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So going back to the long distance thing, I mean, it, many times it feels like if feels like you're not in a relationship with someone like Jenny and I talked about that multiple times. Like it doesn't, doesn't feel like we're in a relationship. And I think, you know, you kind of have those discussions of like, is this worth it? Like it doesn't even, doesn't even feel like we're together. So why are we doing this? And for us with the four years, I don't, honestly, I look back and I'm like, I don't know how we, you know, I guess we just lived for those times like summer Mm -hmm. and uh, fall break, spring break. Um, we, I guess we just lived for those highs during that time of being together and like really enjoying each other during those times and knowing that when we were together, it was really something special. Mm. Um, so you had that to hang on and carry with you and look forward to and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. It's like always kind of looking forward to this thing that I know is so good. Do you feel like <clears throat> it's, it'd be so hard to picture your life after college and getting through those years and stuff was like, was marriage and living together and were those like long-term discussions happening throughout that? Or do you remember that? Uh, the discussion of like, are we going to get married? Well, yeah, just like, I mean, let's say you're a sophomore in college and you guys have got at least a couple few years of college ahead of you. Were you having discussions about like, where do we want to live? We're going to get married. What is this leading to? How many kids, jobs? Yeah. Well, if you know Jenny, uh, <laughs> she doesn't get into a relationship without marriage being the, uh, the end goal. So, yeah. um, that was, you know, we were always having discussions about like the future and, and marriage. Um, I, you know, I was more standoff, standoffish with it. You know, I, I w- wasn't against talking about marriage, but it was like, when are we going to get married? Was, was, you know, the question that I could never, you know, I would never fully commit to until I did. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were, we were always talking about stuff and, um, and all of that. And yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned living together. Mm-hmm. Our plan was to never live together until we were married. So that was <laughs> that was discussion. <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't going around that at all. Yeah. Um, and I was I was completely fine with that. And um, so yeah. And uh, you know this is this is four years of waiting till marriage too. So celibacy for everyone out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, it was. I don't know. Yeah, it was uh, it was all good for us um, in the long run. Like everything, everything worked out really well. I was able to uh, connect with a lot of, you know, I started going to church. There was a point six months into college where we we were very close to breaking up because I was just like, I don't, I don't think I can be the guy you need. Like, I don't think I can be the Christian, like leader guy you want and I just felt and that's kind of going back to the pressure thing like if we would have been I would have felt a lot of pressure to be that super Christian guy for her Mm -hmm. but being away kind of gave me time to all she wanted to hear was that I was committed to like growing and I had the I had to make the decision at that time of like okay I'm gonna start trying um you know and so I started going to church and 
gaining friends in the church and <coughs> the college group and all those types of things. And that's where things really started to roll um, for me is like really getting involved in the community and, and that kind of stuff, actually giving um, faith a real shot. Mm. Um, so yeah. And those are the things that she had been praying about for a long time is like, you know, praying for me to find friends in the Christian community and, and good mentors and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that sort of that dance that you're describing of, you know, you don't want your partner shouldn't just like coerce you and twist your arm into being a certain person that they need you to be, but you yourself have to decide if, if this person that, you know, this person to be with and this person that I, that they're expecting me to become, how did you guys do that dance of like you knowing (laughs) that who you are is, is who you want to be and not who, you know, Jenny is expecting you to be or needs for herself and how do those, how do you guys, you know, meet on the same level of, of that? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think having to discover kind of everything on my own um, at college <clears throat> helped, you know. I never, I never felt like I was being, you know, really forced into anything. It was me having to make the decision to do these things and find everything out for my own. So I never, I never felt forced into anything. Um, and that's, and that I think is, is the reason for the growth I had, you know, I had so many, (laughs) so many friends who think that because they knew me from high school and, uh, you know, and then I start dating this, you know, this pastor's kid, Jenny, and and then I start changing and I, you know, start going to church and everyone's just kind of like, who are you now? Like I have yeah. friends calling me Pastor Hart or, uh, you know, Messiah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and that type of thing. And it's just like, and they don't really get to see, you know, I'm only around them and you kind of revert to, you know, who I was in high school when I'm around them during that time. And, um, you know, they don't get to see, you know, the Shannon that has kind of changed and is going to church and really believes that like, they've never seen me, you know, like worship or like anything like that. Um, they don't see, get to see all the, all the real changes, Mm. um, at that time anyway. And so I think for a long time, people didn't really understand that like this faith that I had been investigating had like become my own thing and that I, I had my made my own conscious decision because it's what I really believe like I I'm, I'm a very skeptical person like I wouldn't have made a decision just because I didn't want to or out of fear or, or yeah. anything like that like um, my faith conversion for me was completely 100% um, my decision and honest and um, feeling the presence of God and and uh yeah. So, yeah. And and that's still, you know, I'm still trying to, you know, come in, moving back to my hometown. It's, there's still kind of an image, um, you know, that I, that, that people haven't seen out of me yet since high school. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm like a kind of a different person, I guess. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad, I mean, describing your journey, I think, you know, personally, I've had these thoughts and discussions about how, like, I don't know how to put it into words, but basically the whole thing about, you know, the 
personally, the conflicts I the, the conflicts I've ever had with faith come when there's like you know a human involvement in your faith journey. We've kind of talked about this a little bit, but mm-hmm. basically, you know, like let's just stay with this example you had. If Jenny was your sole source of like discipleship and information and everything that you were looking for and mm-hmm. found in faith was directly through Jenny. Well, then you're going to find that Jenny's just not a perfect person. And then your image of, you know, your faith and your journey might be entangled with that person who's imperfect. And that can be a place of, you know, spiritual abuse and power and things like that too. If Jenny then decided to, to wield her, um, her, you know, spiritual, empowerment over you in some way to say that, oh, you should be behaving this way and... Spiritual per- persuasion. I just, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I, you know, just what I'm trying to describe is just that like your faith journey, I think, has to not be tied through a human... Through a person. A yeah. person, you know, whether Outside or not it's Jesus. a... <laughs> it, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, even if it's a celebrity, if it's a philosopher, if it's a person you know, if it's your spouse... I don't, you know, I think it's dangerous to allow the, that one person's words and perspective and human existence to be your um, pathway to the divine, I guess, if you could yeah. say. And so um, that, that was just a thought I had in in the whole discussion <clears throat> about, you know, Shannon becoming this, you know, <laughs> Christian man based on his preacher's daughter, yeah. wife. And, you know, that's been something everybody's talked about and has been on the mind that knows you. I, I know, you know my thoughts on the matter and mm-hmm. I obviously love and respect you guys. And well, and <clears throat> kind of going back to earlier, what I was saying about, you know, Jenny was, was praying for me to, to have good influences in my life in, in the, in the Christian community, um, you know, getting involved in, um, the, the college group there in Legrand at the, at the four square church they have. Um, I actually moved in with a messianic Jewish family. So I went to, uh, I went to school at Eastern um, with a couple people that were inquire with me, and then I moved into their home with their family for a little bit um, while we fixed up another house, a um, little manufactured home that we were building to stay in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just, uh, just hugely impactful for me in terms of just like living and seeing a Christian family. Um, just in everyday life and like how they live and they weren't like your cookie cutter, like Christian family either. You know, they like cussed and mm-hmm. like <laughs> had a lot of fun and, and, uh, you know, they're Jewish. So they had Shabbat and they'd have wine together and yeah. like with family, even if they weren't 21, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. what they do. So, um, so that was a really cool experience. And then when I decided to transfer from Eastern Oregon university to the university of Oregon in Eugene, um, <clears throat> Jenny's parents told me about, um, this, uh, it's called the Onyx house and it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a frat or, or sorority, um, mixed. So there's guys and girls that live in the house and then there's, uh, like a guy's floor manager, girl's floor manager, but it's a Christian community and the, the house that they live, it's actually an old sorority house, but, um, it's been made into this um, Christian living house, and uh, it's right off campus. Amazing location. Um, they've got a chef, <coughs> chef just like a lot of sororities or fraternities do, um, and that was hugely impactful for me too. Um, moving to Eugene and moving into this Christian community, 
of people that were my age and <clears throat> a lot of them come from like Christian backgrounds. Some of them don't. And, um, it's just, you know, at the time, perfect for where I was in life. And, you know, we've got a college pastor that we can talk to anytime we've got Friday services that we can invite people to. Mm. Um, and it was just, it's an amazing community. I actually was just there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of my good friends is, we're going to see him this weekend too, actually. Um, we're going down for the duck mm. game against uh, UW. Go Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> beat, the, beat, the, beat the dogs. Beat the dogs. Um, but yeah, uh, there's house parents too. Um, mm. And so my friends right now are the house parents of, of the whole place. And so that was just an amazing community as well. You know, I didn't get lost in in a fraternity and, you know, go back into, you know, drinking a lot and partying a lot and that kind of stuff. It mm-hmm. was the perfect, perfect community for me to, to go into when I, when I transferred um, over to Eugene. Yeah. I like, I want to touch on that <clears throat> because it makes me think of young life too, but this group in college as well, there's these organizations where I think they bring a lot of benefit because it's like, let's say, okay, kids shouldn't party and drink and act reckless. Well, I mean, kids should be social and kids should be engaging and doing activities. So, you know, if, if there's, you know, behaviors or things you don't want people to be doing, what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. Is there a healthy, reasonable, safe alternative for these kids? You yeah. can't just say, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. They should be, well, what? I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's what, I mean, that's what the Onyx House is, really. Yeah. It's the perfect alternative for... Well, I mean, literally, like uh, one of my good friends now, he he had a lot of pressure on him from his father to be part of a fraternity, you know, because his dad was part of that fraternity. And probably had, a, you know, fond memories or a good experience, work connections or something. His dad, yeah. Yeah, all the yeah, networking. Had a good experience that was a big and, part of it is like the networking. Sure, he, the he just wanted the best for his son because he probably had a good experience with it, yeah. The memories, yeah. Um, and he tried it and he just absolutely... It just was not what he wanted. Sure. He, he didn't want to be around the bl- like blatantly drunk and and that life. And so he visited the Onyx house and just absolutely fell in love. And he moved in and <clears throat> was a huge part of the house. You know, got super involved and yeah. Um, and I want to say, I mean, there's a variety of frats and sororities that have all different value systems. It's not to say that. If you join a frat, you're going to be a reckless <laughs> yeah, alcoholic yeah. or anything. But That is true. But I think generally frats and sororities are also known for partying as well. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> we're, I think we're talking more generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, so um, just on the subject of like the, the college days, um, I know you had a lot of good experiences with, with both the colleges that you went to. Obviously, for listeners of the podcast, they've had a chance to to get some of your stories in your history with uh, the conversations with, you know, J.J. Hill and Dr. Peter Wordleman. Um, are there any just stories or characters you want to reflect on from, from the EOU days before you take us to U of O? <laughs> um, <clears throat> honestly, is a lot of my, uh, <laughs> a lot of my choir buddies, choir and theater. And, and I think I, uh, like Fune, I, I think I mentioned Fune when we were talking with J.J., um, Fune was the first one who like 
essentially made me uh, try out for a play. My was first this play. the? Oh, okay. It was a friend. It wasn't the the tough nosed director you had. No, no, no. Okay. no. That was Ken uh, Ken Burns. Yeah, Ken <laughs> Burns. Ken, Ken Ken no Ken Bush. Sorry. Okay, I was like, that's a coincidence. <laughs> you know, Ken Burns is like the famous documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's famous for like, the Ken Burns effect, right? Yes. Where it's like zooming in, zooming out. Yeah, and just some well done like baseball and history. But sorry, I digress. <laughs> Yeah, um, so definitely my friend Fune, and we were only, he, <laughs> we had a funny relationship because he was a senior, uh, maybe a fifth year or sixth year senior <laughs> at the time, and uh, and I was just a freshman, but we like loved hanging out together. Huh. <laughs> we just clicked. got along so well. And he actually got me into my first bar oh. when I was 19. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> my, my freshman year of college, uh, last day of school, uh, he was like, dude, we got to get you into a bar. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's do it. That's funny. How'd it go? <laughs> it was good. He was like, I know the bouncer. Um, and and I was like, all right, uh, sounds good. And we go down there and there was no bouncer. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just w- walked right in. Was it, This was in Legrand. So was it Benchies or Bud Jackson's? or? I don't know if I should say. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I guess so. Somebody probably doesn't work there anymore. I'll tell you. I'll tell 10 you years uh, ago. Not a big deal. But tell you off mic. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> I went there recently, actually. Nice. But, uh, yeah, <coughs> so my, my buddy Fune, and then there was just a, a, a band of other guys, um, choir, um, my buddy Nick Johnson, um, still follow him closely on social media and stuff. Um, gosh, too many people. Uh, the, the Blood Goods, that's the family I lived with, mm. um, the Messianic Jewish family. Um, yeah, they were super impactful in my life. And also talking me into marrying Jenny when I was like thinking about breaking it off. They were like, you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, they were like, stop being so dumb. Like, this girl's amazing. Like, you need to marry her. And I was like, and then I finally matured and... Yeah, you're like, ah, but I'm 21 and I I don't want to quit a dream or whatever else. I was at that point where I was like, this girl is amazing is there someone more perfect there out for me? It was just that immaturity, oh, you know? Oh, sure. It was like, and it, you know, long distance relationship. So you feel but, like you fall out of love essentially. Sure. And it's just like, I mean, college, you've got lots of women walking around and it's like, is there someone better for me out there? And yeah. it was, it was those conversations that, totally. that they helped talk me through. And, and I'm so glad they did. <coughs> um, but yeah, so they were, they were hugely impactful. Um, Matt, Julie, uh, Ari, Ariana, Israel, Luke, Liam, Ava, the whole family. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, they were, they were really special in my life. Um, yeah. members of the, of the church over there mm. and, and just a whole bunch of other people as well. Yeah. Very impactful. But like, I would say my, my greatest memories uh, at Eastern we're we're with the choir and just like, like I said earlier, like I've always, I've always loved like choir and uh, singing with other people and, and that thing. And, yeah. and it was really special. Um, the choir over there, especially with Peter Wordelman, he just makes it so much fun and he's easy to get along with. And, uh, he's legendary, man. <laughs> I'm glad we had him on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hope we get to talk to him again soon. Um, we're supposed to go golf with them. What the heck? Yeah, I know. Well, but geez, it's been a busy summer for many reasons yeah. for all of us. But um, so what What made you decide that U of O 
no, hold on. Let me try to answer this because I recall <laughs> you said that, you know, grades in school kind of wasn't the priority for you going into it. So Eastern accepted you a little, little easier <laughs> to get in, but you, you know, showed yourself with, uh, with effort and commitment when you just, when you got into college. And so was it, how long was it before you applied to U of O and what did that process look like of getting transferred? Yeah. Yeah. So high school, I mean, I had a horrible GPA, but, um, I did get accepted. I had a letter written from my, uh, my high school counselor, um, essentially saying like, Hey, he's got promise, even though he's, <laughs> he's sucked. Um, shout out Karen Demineau. <laughs> Mrs. Demineau. Yeah. Uh, and she was right. You know, mm-hmm. I had a lot to give. I just wasn't given it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she believed in you. She believed in me. Um, so yeah, I got into Eastern. Um, I didn't even apply to the U of O cause I, I knew I wouldn't get in, but I was a huge growing up, huge duck fan my whole life in a time. I was actually thinking about this earlier today, like in a time, cause I figured it would come up in a time where it wasn't popular to be a duck fan growing up. Like when I was younger, mm-hmm. everyone, I mean, this is rural Oregon, you know, a- agriculture is big here in Pendleton. Like everyone was a beaver fan growing up. Sure. Um, it was like me and a couple of my friends, Levin, Travis, um, who were big duck fans and, uh, everyone else seemed to be beaver fans. And at that time, Oregon state was a lot more competitive with Oregon. Right. Yeah. The civil war, it was a toss up. It seemed like for most of our early, you know, our years through school and stuff like that. Exactly. It was definitely pretty evenly matched and you had some of the the Joey Harringtons and those guys standing out, um, that's right. But they had like the Ken Simontons and yeah, they had, they had a lot of Remember Dennis Dixon? Well. Oh, shoot. Do I remember Dennis <laughs> Dixon? I, I, we'll get back to you at U of O, but I do have to share a fond memory of my, my buddy Austin Cuellar growing up in Salem. He, he, his dad had some good friends that had like season tickets to, to Ducks games. And so for those middle school and early high school years, I fondly remember being so fortunate that I got to go to a couple few Ducks games, even some of, you know, that had like college games day, college game day matchups. And that was right in the heat of the Dennis Dixon years and all that stuff. But, um, what was going on by the time you got there? When I got to the U of O, uh, football wise. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Mariota. Oh, you got the Mario. I got years. the best three years that, that I could have gotten because yeah. the three years I was there were the three years he started. Sure. <laughs> so do you think like sports was obviously a, a big piece of your childhood by the time that you transferred to U of O, was that still a big reason for going or what was the intention? Well, in terms of like being able to watch duck games, like I didn't have any intent of like trying to make a team. at the No, but like, were you going so that you could be the U of O super fan or? I mean, yeah, partly it was like, it was fulfilling a dream. Like I had this amazing experience at Eastern Oregon university, um, that I absolutely loved and wouldn't trade for anything. But, um, you know, I, I had two years there of experiencing it and I had this opportunity. I just, you know, I, I got into college and I had got my grades up and <clears throat> I decided to just apply to the University of Oregon to see if I'd get in because I knew I wouldn't out of high school. So yeah. it was kind of a dream of mine just to get accepted to the U of O and applied. And surprisingly, I I think they I think they're easier on transfer students because they've shown that they can, you know, do well in sure. college already. Um so yeah, I got accepted and <clears throat> I still wasn't gonna leave Eastern. But then Jenny's parents told me about the, on- <coughs> excuse me, the on- <coughs> the Onyx house, and I went down there. Um, 
toured it essentially. Um, they showed me around. I got in to my surprise and I was like, well, shoot, I'm in to the school. I have a place to live in a great community. How can I not take this opportunity? It felt like God was leading me like, this is your next step. This is where you need to go. I also didn't really know what I wanted to do at Eastern. Like I was, uh, I was in the choir and uh, starting to do some theater stuff, but I was majoring in like communications. Um, but I didn't have a strong direction of... Had you decided to major at that point? I don't think I had fully declared communication, but I think I was like headed that way. Sure. And leaning towards it. Um, so I also had a friend, um, her name is Jackie, um, who went to Eastern and she was from Eugene and she was actually transferring back to the U of O as well. And so in a class with her, I was talking about, she was talking about joining the journalism school at the U of O and how awesome it was. And that intrigued me a lot as well. And that's Mm -hmm. what I ended up doing was, um, getting into the journalism school and, um, yeah, I forgot what the initial question was. Well, I guess the reason for going to U of O, so what you answered well, I mean, the fulfillment of a dream, the, there's those awesome, you know, other things like the, the sports access and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, at this point, you you probably feel like you've matured enough that, you know, you got to go to school, you got to make grades. That's <clears throat> still what we're here for. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. So when I got to the U of O, um, I feel like I, I feel like throughout college, I gradually kept becoming a, a, a little better, more responsible better and, and better just a better student. adult and student. Yeah. yeah. And by the time I hit my last year, like I was, I got into one of the most prestige, uh, prestigious, like advertising, student advertising groups mm. called AHA, um, Allen Hall advertising. And, um, we like, we literally put on like a huge, um, a huge thing in Portland. Like we, we, uh, are working towards it like the whole school year. And then we put on this big event mm-hmm. for a bunch of venture capitalists um, at the end of the year. And so <clears throat> that was a cool experience. I was also the director of advertising, uh, ad society, advertising society. Mm-hmm. And that helped get me out of my like comfort box and um, put me in front of people and get some experience like public speaking a little bit and having to um, lead Um, not that I would say I'm like an amazing leader, but it, it helped. Yeah. Um, and all this time, you know, Jenny and I are still long distance and (coughs) until my last year, she was in Eugene my last year. Um, but yeah, I don't know. University of Oregon was just an amazing experience as well. Like (laughs) I got to fulfill my dream of being, you know, a huge duck fan and going to the U of O and it just so happened to be like the three years that Marcus Mariota was the quarterback and won the Heisman. And, yeah. um, I think the year after I graduated was the year they went to the final four in basketball, but I was still living in Eugene, like going to games and stuff and, mm-hmm. and all of that. So it was like, <laughs> couldn't have better fulfilled my childhood dream. Yeah. That's um, awesome. <clears throat> and yeah. Go ahead. Well, sorry. So what was the, what was the end goal and what did you graduate with as far as like degrees and in the mission? Yeah. So within the journal journalism school, they have an advertising route. And so most kids who uh, go that route, they end up applying to advertising uh, agencies all over, all over the nation, mostly on the East coast or the West coast. It's a lot so, of that. So it's basically, so journalism and marketing, they're kind of <clears throat> intertangled in the same thing. Is that what you're saying? 
Um, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, marketing itself was through the business school. So oh, okay. advertising and marketing was a little, they were different majors. Within business? Uh, no. Uh, advertising was part of the journalism school. I see. Marketing was part of the business school. I see. So a lot of people think, and I would have thought this before I went to the U of O, honestly, that marketing and advertising would have been the same thing. Yeah. The same route. Those, those sound both to me like a business context and journalism sounds like something totally different marketing but. is more of the umbrella um umbrella term like advertising would fall under marketing oh okay but advertising school through the journalism school at, at the university of oregon it very much sets you up to like streamline right into an ad agency mm. um so i mean we like i took our ad society um uh group to like Wyden and Kennedy in Portland, you know, they're one of the biggest ad agencies in, in the world, really. Mm. They do all the Nike stuff. And so we do like tours and go to different ad agencies. We have kids, um, apply, uh, there's a huge New York trip, um, that they do every year. I think one year they had like a hundred or more kids go wow. and like you can go on that trip and literally like pitch to advertising agencies and you can get a job like just right there. Yeah. There's lots of kids that that happens to. I've got friends right now that I know from college and I follow on social media that, I mean, they're always, po they work for some of the biggest ad agencies and they live in New York and um, they get paid crazy amounts of money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's wild. And that was, that was the route that I was going to go is I, I was going to start applying to ad agencies all along the West coast or East coast. And then <clears throat> Uh, Je Jenny comes along and she's like, right when I'm about to graduate, she's like, I think I want to do my master's <laughs> <laughs> um, in counseling. And this college uh, at the time, it was Northwest, uh, Northwest Christian University. She was like, there's a program at Northwest Christian University, which is right next to the U of O um, that she wanted to look into. And I was like, ah, like I'm then I can't apply to like ad agencies all Cause, over. Cause you're saying at this point, you guys want to be on the same page, but she would be rooted down for another year of school and you're trying to take the career under the belt, right? And get going. Exactly. Okay. She's, <clears throat> she's saying, Hey, let's stay in Eugene for another two years yeah. while I do this. And, and I'm you're saying, like, boy, it's time to get to work. I'm about to graduate. And, and this is the perfect time for me to get myself out there and apply to ad agencies and start as like a, junior media, you know, whatever person and, yeah. and work my way up. And, um, it was just, it seemed like really bad timing. And, uh, but we were also getting really involved with our church at that point. And Jenny was, uh, she was the worship pastor. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so that was, that was a hard, a hard decision to make, but it was for the best. Like I did want her to, to go to school and do that. A funny thing is, <laughs> she didn't end up doing that program, <laughs> but we did end up staying in Eugene. So when she was interested in that program, there was this couple that came to our church, Karen and Jean DeYoung, and they both worked at Northwest Christian University. Jenny and I were hosting a, a table at what we called uh, Pizza with the Pastors. It's a time to get to know the pastor if you're visiting a new church. Mm. And um, with Jenny being the worship pastor and me being involved at the church, um, we were there as leaders to just talk with other people who were coming and visiting. And, um, this couple, uh, they came and 
we just, you know, they were asking us questions about, they were interested because I was about to graduate. They're like, what are you doing? And uh, Jenny, you know, what's your, what are your goals? And they're, uh, you know, they're in their uh, probably 50s. They've got older kids. Um, turns out Gene was the VP of Northwest Christian University, VP of finance, and Karen ran the music department. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Jenny had told them that she was thinking about doing the counseling program at, at NCU. And they're like, oh, well, we work there. <laughs> um <clears throat> and they told me that there was a position opening as a college admissions counselor at NCU. And if I got that job, Jenny could actually go and get her master's for free because I worked there. And so I applied for the job. Karen was um, a reference for me, um, ended up getting the job. And then Karen decide, decides that she... Uh, well, she asked Jenny to work for her <laughs> in the music department because mm. Jenny is very musically inclined. She's the worship pastor at our church and Karen needed needed someone to fill that position as well. Mm -hmm. So instead of Jenny, uh, instead of me finding a, an, you know, an ad agency in Eugene, which there aren't many to work for and Jenny going to school for another two years for a counseling program, um, we both ended up working at NCU, <laughs> Northwest <laughs> Christian University, which mm -hmm. is now Bushnell University. Um, so yeah, <coughs> I worked in the admissions department and Jenny worked in the music department and she absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved my job. It, yeah. was, it was so good for me um, starting out. Um, you know, as an admissions counselor, you are, um, you're talking with students um, about their future and their families. And I was working with a, a great team. So I learned a lot of team building, organizing, just planning, um, all a, a bunch of different tools that you just need in the workforce to be successful. Yeah. Um, interpersonal communication, public speaking, um, all those things I had to do with that job. And, uh, it really helped prepare me into my career now of real estate, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just <clears throat> that whole thing just felt like another push from God. Like, Hey, this is what you guys this are, are going to be need. doing right now. Like Jenny got, Jenny got the job, you got the job. And we absolutely fell in love with the community at NCU. Yeah. And I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't change our time there either for, for anything. Yeah, definitely. So I want to speak to you know, the other side of that admissions counselor role of the prospective students and how comforting it must have been to see, you know, somebody that's young and hungry and really just coming out of that themselves to be able to speak to their experience. So just briefly describe what some of those job duties looked like and what that first professional job was as this college admissions counselor. What, what are some of the things you had to do? Yeah. So, I mean, our main goal is to bring students to the college so the college can essentially make money, you know? <laughs> sure. Um, and a lot of our time is, is spent, um, especially as a small private college, a lot of our time is spent, um, you know, nurturing the students that, that are interested um, in the college, um, but always, always outreach. Um, so like in... In around like October, November, we did a lot of travel. So I would be out traveling for about two months of the year, um, going to college conferences, um, going to high school, visiting high schools, 
literally meeting students one-on-one or, or with their families, which mm-hmm. I always had to make sure, like, <laughs> it's funny. I would always, when I was talking with students, uh, I would always say, Hey, uh, before we meet up, I know my name, like, I know my name's Shannon, but, uh, I am a guy and, uh, I'm a, I'm a six, three guy <laughs> just so you know what you're getting yourself into before we meet up. Um, uh, and everyone was always just like, Oh, that's funny. Huh? No worries. That's you a know, funny side meeting, story. Meeting that, yeah. Shannon, I'm sure you get that. A bit, a oh, lot. it's so difficult. Yeah. So many times for work stuff, I've thought I literally at one point, uh, tried to like switch over to Shan because I feel like Shan is a little more masculine. I don't know that I've heard a lot of Shan. Have you? Well, I know Shan Shan West. Do you know Shan West? I know I know two male Shans. I okay. don't know any female. So that Shans. helps. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I thought it would help a little bit, but it, the transition <laughs> was, was just too difficult. Yeah. I couldn't okay. do it, and it just didn't feel me. <laughs> yeah. So you're kind of saying to these students, probably like, you know, this is what my experience has been like, I've just kind of gotten out of college and, and, you know, I, the nice thing too, I just realized is you can speak to not just like that college, but to Mm -hmm. say, you know, Hey, I've been into rural Eastern Oregon at at East EOU. I've been to the big buzz U of O that everybody knows about. And I can also speak to this sort of private, you know, intimate Christian based college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much so. It's that's impressive that you picked up on that. But um, I, at that point, had garnered a lot of experience from three different colleges, and that's you know somewhat abnormal for like a twenty-one year old, twenty-two year old, however old I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to speak to a lot of that. I was, uh, you know, I was able to speak to the benefits of going to a large university. I was able to speak to the benefits of a, a really small private college, and then a you know a medium-sized college like Eastern. Yeah. Um, and so the interesting thing about <clears throat> NCU, um, now Bushnell, I don't know whether I should call it Bushnell or <laughs> NCU for this interview, but um, is that it was a small private college located right next, literally across the street from the University of Oregon. And so it kind of shared some uh, like students at NCU could use the rec facilities at the U of O, like oh. that type of thing. It's like, you don't, go to a small private college and get the rec facilities of like the university of Oregon. Like that's just, that's unheard of. Um, but then also just like this small, you know, private Christian, you know, you get chapel and like lots of students love that. Some students, cause you don't have to be Christian to go there either. Oh, okay. Um, So some students that was, um, a little foreign to, um, but they end up really liking it or, uh, you know, there's of course students that don't, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a great experience for Jenny and I. I had a I had a really good time um, getting to know so many people there. And, and you were married by this <clears> point, right? Yeah, Jenny and I were married. So Jenny and I were married my last year of college. Mm. So my f- after my fourth year of college, we got married that summer, and then I did a fifth year. And uh, uh, yeah, we were married that whole year, which was didn't hot. we get married the same year? Yeah, we got married. Yeah. You guys got married 14. like right before us, August of fourteen. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. That's right. Did you guys get married in August? Yeah. Was, you were like right before us. Then. I was going to say, I want to say, was it just, what was your, what's your anniversary? 16th. August 16th. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we got married in our honeymoon and yeah, I turned around two weeks later, it was Jenny and Shannon's wedding here in that's, town. <clears throat> that's so crazy because um, my roommate from college, from the Onyx house, he got married the week after us. Oh yeah. And so we were like, do we try and make it back from Cabo to, to try and make their wedding? And then it's just it didn't make sense to try and do that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, your guys' wedding, then our wedding, and then 
my <laughs> my roommate's wedding. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of weddings going on at that time. It was also really cool because me and my roommate, Lucas, we were the only two who knew th- that each other were going to be proposing during the winter. Mm. And so <laughs> we had like the secret that we would always talk about that no one else knew about. And then we, when we came back to the Onyx house after winter break, we were both engaged. <laughs> nice. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then I, uh, I do two and a half years at Bushnell university NCU and, uh, we have our first, our first child Hazel and Jenny is like contemplating going back to work <clears throat> or if she should be a stay at home and she does three months and we have Hazel in daycare and Jenny just, neither of us really loved it. We were both like, you should stay at home. You did three months of Jenny working full time and doing daycare and stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh So yeah, she went back to work for three months and we just both felt like. Just wasn't the fit. For them, like it didn't make sense financially really. Like we weren't making that much more money for her to be working Mm -hmm. like rather than paying daycare. So yeah, you're um, working just to pay the daycare bill. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And it was like, you should just stay home. And it mm-hmm. was going to be really rough though with, uh, with my salary to, um, to keep us afloat. Um, so I end up out of nowhere getting, having a friend contact me and asking if I want to apply for this marketing job at a book publisher in Eugene and it pays a good amount more. And I, you know, would be able to, you know, our family would be comfortable. Right. And it was just like another thing where it's like God, like, you know, coming in to our situation and being like, Hey, I want you guys to, you know, feel like I got you. Were you, I'm curious, were you like, had you started searching for work at this time or this completely just came onto you before you really started hunting? Um, I had started hunting a little bit, Yeah, but like, this friend, I hadn't told this friend yeah. that I was looking for. And this friend different. just, just thought of you because they saw the position available and thought Shannon's the guy for this. Yeah. She thought of me cause we were friends. Like she knew she went through the J school too and did, and did that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so she was a J school graduate and then she got this job with this marketing job with the publisher, like right out of college. And so we had talked lots about like J school stuff and advertising and, and all that. So she knew that I came from that. And when the position opened, she was one of the first people I think that she thought of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, I ended up applying, killed the interview and ended up, uh, getting the job as well. And it just financially, like I, I would have loved to stay at NCU. Um, financially it would just would have been really hard. Sure. Um, so took the marketing job and, uh, and that was a great experience as well. And so I think I've said this in another podcast, but like having the experience from the admissions counselor role and my marketing role have helped me immensely in real estate. It's all played into, to where you're at today. Exactly. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit, I feel like, uh, you know, I think about like Chance Norquist when we talked with him and that was a good chance to talk about this, this entrepreneurial journey that you're kind of on today, that big step that you've made from essentially employee to, you know, independent business owner or whatever you'd like to call it, licensed real estate agent. So, um, let's, let's regroup and kind of go back to that transition and that change in a little more detail for you because you basically, so you've done this, you know, this marketing position for a book publishing company for Mm -hmm. how long? 
Uh, it was about the same time I was at NCU. I think it was two, two to two and a half years. And it, it, again, it's remarkable to me to think about like the timing as you're going to tell this, how this comes together, but, but go <laughs> ahead. So you're, what, what got you itching to make a change from this role? Um, I had had an itch for, for quite a while that. Was it financial I, or was it like freedom of, t what was, what with, was calling to you? You think with my marketing job, I just knew, I just knew there was something different that I wanted to do. And I wanted to be able to control my schedule more. I wanted the potential to, um, not have like a capped salary unless that salary was like, you know, a really good amount of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I wanted to be, I got to a point in my marketing job cause they have, they kind of moved some things around to where I was sitting behind <coughs> a desk more than I wanted to be. And I feel like, I feel like I'm at my best when I'm connecting with people, um, and kind of out and about and, and doing that kind of thing. And so I was, you know, I was just kind of looking at like what jobs fit like my personality type. I, I, I think at times Did I literally you do like personality quizzes online. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. no, I was going to say at times, I think I literally Googled like personally personality types, um, like what kind of jobs fit this personality type? And I put in, you know, like, uh, like very social personality type mm. or like, I don't know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, or like Enneagram is a big thing. Like what kind of jobs fit uh, a seven Enneagram? Or I don't remember what I am for the Myers-Briggs, but like I probably type that in and see what jobs pop up. Yeah. Like what, um, and real estate was something that like kept popping up. And I was like, that's interesting. And I was like, I guess it makes sense. Like you're connecting with people. You're helping walk them through this big purchase. I've done that with college, yeah. walking students and families through that. I, you know, I feel like I'm a very personable person. Um, pretty fun to be around, I, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> um, and all the, all the boxes, you know, just kind of were checked off with real estate. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy, a good friend, um, at our church who was a real estate agent, had been for like 15 plus years, actually started a, uh, a brokerage, which I'm part of now. Um, and so I got together with him just to talk about real estate and he told me, he's like, I don't, I don't tell a lot of people this because, you know, I don't think they'd be a good fit for real estate, but I actually, I actually do think you'd be a good fit for real estate. And so just that initial conversation, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> gave me a lot of hope in potentially looking into real estate as a possibility, but yeah. I was the only one working in my family at the time and trying to provide for my wife, oh, and sure. my wife and kid. And so it just kind of went along as this like idea and I was still working my marketing job. Is Lila on the way at this point? She's got to no. be close. Well, uh, May of 2019. Um, I'm just thinking the, the age of Hazel. Yeah. It's gotta yeah, be yeah, right yeah. In the heat she, of she, she was at least, uh, on the way, if not little baby, yeah. No, she was probably born already. But yeah, little baby though, probably. Yeah. 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 So you're looking and you're saying, all right, so you know, we've got Yeah, she was born for sure. Yeah, we got a couple kids. Jenny is feeling strongly, you know, both of you are feeling strongly called to her being, you know, holding down the home life. Exactly. So you're the guy. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, yeah. 
we're we both feel good about like Jenny staying home. Yep. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to bring in all the income. Yeah. And uh, you know, I had that conversation with Scott about real estate, and he thought I'd be a good fit. Um, just so happens that I be, due to COVID and all the different layoffs during COVID, uh, I end up getting laid off from my marketing job and, um, the company announced the president went up in front of everyone. He was actually crying. Uh, and so I, I mean, I have a lot of respect for, for him and a lot of the people that worked in at that job. Um, yeah. even though I didn't absolutely love the job, um, at the time when I got let go, but, uh, he announced, you know, they didn't want to have to lay people off, but they were providing the largest severance that they had ever given out, um, for the, for the four people they were letting go. And I happened to be one of those people. Another one of the guys had been working there for 25 plus year. Um, and so it wasn't easy for them to let people go, but it actually worked out being absolutely perfect for me because the severance package along with, um, they, they were like, get on unemployment as soon as you can. Yeah. Cause then we had the bumped up unemployment, the bumped up unemployment during COVID was another nice buffer. So I had this buffer of the unemployment during that time. And of course I'm going to take the people. What I want to point out is that you <clears throat> used that time to leverage yourself and your family to a better position. Which is what position. you're supposed to do. Exactly. It. The intention and what you did was say, I've got some time now to, what am I going to do with it? Right. Yeah. It and wasn't like, all right, I'm going to get paid just as much to sit on my fanny for, yeah. for however long this goes. <laughs> I'm going to ride it out. I don't care what anyone says out there. Like I had a two young kids, two t- little kids and a wife at home. And I was the only, I was the sole provider. Of course, I'm going to take the unemployment during the time. It's that's, like, that's what it's for. It's a no brainer. Yeah. Um, there are still probably be, people be out there like, I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think so, but, um, so yeah, that the, the unemployment at the time and the severance gave me the opportunity to, uh, to get my real estate license. I actually had a job offer within like a few weeks. I started looking for jobs immediately. I was like, we can't not have money. <laughs> yeah. And so I I was actually going to get flown out to uh, Minnesota for this sales position. Um, this company, I applied and they wanted to fly me out. And then Jenny and I talked about it some more. And I would have been doing sales in Oregon. It was just the company was based in in Minnesota. Um, Jenny and I were just talking more about it. Like when I got laid off, we decided to take a trip back down to Eastern Oregon. I was like, I need to get out of Eugene just for a little bit, like clear, clear my head, get out of here, go see some family. So we came down to Eastern Oregon and that's actually when I heard back that they wanted to fly me to Minnesota for that Mm. job position. But on our drive back to Eugene, Jenny and I were talking a lot about it and it was just like, you don't, don't need to do that. Like just go all in like real estate, just, just go for it. Um, and so that's what I, that's what I decided to do. Just, Mm -hmm. and you know, we were able to get through because of the unemployment and, and, and the severance until with me not having a job. Actually, I did have a part-time job with our church. I was, uh, video editor, part-time video editor for a little bit through our church mm. during COVID because everything was through video at the time. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because no church could be right. had in person. Yeah, all the remote services and stuff like that. So sure. I was editing all the video and getting paid a little bit. Part, yeah. Part time to do that as yeah, well. Yeah, but you're 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 buying time and you're working on what getting licensed as a realtor. Yeah. And probably just understanding what in the heck that job requires. Right. Well, it's not even just getting licensed as a realtor. Like, once you get into real estate and get your license, like that's the first step, and then. You have to build a, like, you have to get work. Right. How do you get buyers? How do you get sellers? Like, why are they going to go with you? You're brand new. You're a brand new realtor. Mm-hmm. Why would they go with you? And so, yeah. th- I mean, that's, that's probably the most difficult part of being a real estate agent um, early on. It's not the getting licensed part. That's not super difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people it is. I'm not entirely sure why, but um most people, why they don't last in real estate is because they can't get things up and running yeah. um, within the first few well, years. Well, a lot of it's on you, right? All I of mean, it's on you. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, if you could look at real being an independent realtor or owning your own business or doing anything like that, it looks appealing for the freedom and the flexibility. But at the end of the day you're kind of responsible for your own. It's not like you got, okay, I'm going to be a realtor. Okay. Then I got licensed. All right. Now I'm good. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this yeah. is it. Yeah, I made it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this <laughs> is licensed. like, yeah, boy, it's on you and it's every day. Right. Yeah. No, it does feel like that at the time when you get licensed, just because you've been freaking slogging through all the law and all the crud. Yeah. When you get licensed, there's just like this huge weight off your shoulders and you feel like you're a champion, but (laughs) then the real world hits you and you're like, ah, how am I going to make money? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you have to, just like any business, you have to, uh, gain people's trusts, um, and you have to do a good job and you have to create credibility for yourself. Mm -hmm. And how do you go about doing that? (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, so I, I didn't sell my first, I mean, I got licensed in October, 2020 and I didn't sell a home until eight months after that. Whoo. <clears throat> yeah. So it was just like living off of, uh, the money that we had received and the part-time job, like very living off very little. <laughs> yeah. Well, w- Here's the other thing. We decided to move right after I got licensed. So we lived in uh, Springfield, um, right. Eugene Springfield. And I got licensed in October, helped other agents in the area show houses and was getting paid like, you know, 50 bucks for every house I showed for them or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jenny and I decided to move back to Eastern Oregon at the time. Um, there was a lot of factors that went into that. Um, my mom has dementia, uh, a pretty severe form of dementia, and I didn't want my grandkid—I didn't want my children not to know her <clears throat> at least. <clears throat> um, they're her only grandchildren. And so far, so far, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it, it just would have killed me to always stay in Eugene and not really have my mom know my kids knowing that she's slowly digressing. Um, and so that made a lot of sense. Um, but the other thing was that I had all this pressure on me, um, cause Jenny's still not working. I'm trying to do this real estate thing. Um, 
And I figured it would relieve a lot of the stress off me because we could actually move back to Eastern Oregon and take care of my mom um, because she owns her house outright and she needs someone to care for her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that kind of worked perfectly. Jenny wanted to be closer to her family. um, And we kind of did the the COVID exodus, you know. Um, And honestly, it worked out pretty much exactly as I had hoped for. Like we moved into my mom's, <laughs> I should explain, it wasn't easy moving into my mom's place um, because it's a rundown, uh, double wide manufactured home. It hadn't been lived in for like 10 years. And so it had a lot of problems and not necessarily super fit for a family to thrive in. <laughs> um, <coughs> but I saw the potential to at least fix it up to like living standard and, uh, and you know, I've just continued to work on the property for the last, you know, we've been there for almost two years now, but we couldn't even live there initially when we moved over, we had to live at Jenny's grandma's for a month. Um, yeah, the first month when we moved back, we stayed at Jenny, Jenny's grandma's house and I would drive over to Hermiston every day to start fixing up the house. I mean, there was a hole in the kitchen floor. There's so many problems, <laughs> just so many problems with the house. I had mm-hmm. to put in a new sink, uh, the new toilet. Um, yeah, the electrical uh, was shot. Luckily, the neighbor was uh, uh, an electrician for Amazon, so <laughs> he was able to help. Um, so yeah, there was. There's just been lots of stuff um, going on with that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the move back was, was great. I also saw it as an opportunity to reconnect with people that I already knew and who already knew me from mm-hmm. growing up in the area. And that worked out pretty good. You know, I started letting people know that I was a realtor back in my hometown and, um, started getting business and started doing some marketing that worked out really well. And honestly, like thank God had um, an amazing um, like s- second year I would say like year and a half after after that eight months is when really things really started picking up yeah and so like a year from that point um, things have just been going phenomenally like I couldn't have asked for <clears throat> better yeah like it, a lot of times it takes people in real estate you know three to five years to really get up and going and. Um, that just wasn't the case for me. I got really lucky. It feels like another one of those God things where it's just like he, it felt like he was calling us back home to take care of mom, to relieve pressure off of me and our situation. And we feel like we listened to his voice and everything just like worked out, um, how it was supposed to. And I'm also trying to follow this calling of what I believe like I will be good at and like a, a service I can provide people. And, um, so yeah, I'm just, <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of where things are at with real estate. You know, we're, we're still living in Hermiston right now at my mom's place and, uh, soon, hopefully, um, looking to buy a place in the next few months, hopefully, um, looking to buy a place back in Pendleton and mm-hmm. not have to commute, <sighs> You know, yeah. 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back for, you know, a 20, 30 minute showing <laughs> every mm-hmm. once in a while. Um, 
So that'll be nice, but also just like really being able to invest more into the Pendleton community just because I'm not half an hour away all the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where things are at with real estate, but really excited for the future. Um, uh, Sarah Avery, uh, came on to, to, uh, my brokerage, uh, Hearthstone real estate. Got um, to so, meet Sarah when we had a comedy night at the Electric Sundown. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still with my Eugene brokerage, and we're, you know, now we're based out of Eastern Oregon. Sarah and I are the two Hearthstone brokers um, in this area, and uh, she's a lot of fun to work with. And she's in real estate for the same reason I am. You know, we saw a need to provide people really good service in mm-hmm. this area. She didn't necessarily have a great experience, uh, real estate experience, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so she wanted to change that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to do in this area too, is provide people top-notch service. You know, the same type of service that you might get in Eugene or Portland with all the marketing and, and all of that stuff. That's what I want to provide people in small panels in Oregon, you know, not just take photos with a cell phone and then post what looks like a piece of crap online <laughs> for people to, to, bu- to buy. Um, so... Yeah, that's that's kind of well, and then and then the podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You and I. I mean, we've talked about that already on on previous episodes, but yeah, that's been awesome as well, and in a great way to connect with the community and totally. <clears throat> yeah, well, a couple thoughts I go to just from your last stretch of the story there is, um, that you know, there's so many different quotes that basically tell the tale of success being a combination of good fortune and, and hard work. And obviously that's the case for you. I mean, you can talk about some of the remarkable things that have come together with timing and opportunity and stuff like that, but you've had to do your fair share as far as making that happen too, you know, Mm -hmm. doing the, doing the research, passing the tests, communicating with the people I've had, I've obviously, you know, seen you have to make that commitment to your career and it has to come at sacrifice of timing with other things sometimes. I mean, there, I'm just, I guess I just want to comment on there's been a lot of good fortune for you, but it's also come with the combination of hard work and commitment to, to your craft. And um, I'm just really excited that you guys are back in the area and doing your thing. And um, I also, the other thought I had was that in so many ways, you know, everything is connected, it seems like, because we're talking about you know, family life. We're talking about work life. We're talking about your hometown where you grew up and your community. We're talking about your faith. And you might look at those each independently, but really they've all kind of entangled and intermixed with one another to, and I think that's, that's part of like the story of just where you're at and you're becoming who you are today, I think, (laughs) right? Is the, um, the, the culmination of your hometown community and your skills and the life that you've explored and learned from different areas around different people and exposures, your faith, your family. I see that you can't look at each of those individually. They're all kind of interconnected. Um, yeah. But I'm really excited for you guys and to see um, what the future holds. Cause I know you're just getting started too. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. No, it is exciting and it does feel like it's just getting started because we technically don't even live in Pendleton yet. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, mixing all three of those um work, family, faith in uh in this area. I mean, that's that sounds like a good life to me. Like 
there were points in my life where it was like, I don't know that I could find a job in Pendleton if we move back there, Mm -hmm. you know? And now that, you know, I've found that, um, everything with the family is going good. And, um, you know, we're still kind of figuring out the faith side of things in terms of like uh, a home church and what that's going to look like here in town. And, but that's all going to come with time and, and, um, just really investing into, into the community and, excited for it as well so <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and it just feels like a good time for a lot of things i think a lot of people are you know coming together finding things that interest them finding relationships that give meaning and it just um it's been you know i've been really inspired though to kind of watch your story develop live here firsthand and <laughs> and we've talked about how that's kind of helped me i think make the the push into the unknown a little bit too so um, we're kind of right on the cusp of things with, with my stuff myself, but, uh, you know, seeing how it's worked out for you has helped, you know, inspire me and give me the motivation that, um, I think this will all work out if we just continue to do what we do. I think so, man. As long as we continue to grow, try and get better every day. And, uh, I think we're both, I think we're both doing that. And so I think there's good things ahead. Um, and, uh, you know, community, community reaps the benefits of people who are striving for, for greatness. So, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's where we're headed. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Well, you know, I feel like we could do this all day, but I guess that's a good spot to close, uh, our, sh- our snapshot in time of, of Shannon to this point. And I'm sure, you know, through our conversations with other folks and, and just kind of communi- communicating with, uh, amongst ourselves, we're going to hear. It'll be fun to look back, you know, I like to do that. So it'd be fun to just think, you know, one, two, five years down the road, looking back at this conversation. Yeah, we might have to, we might have to redo some episodes, <laughs> like record. Okay, we're five years down the road. Now where are we at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So, That's so funny. <laughs> right. All right. Well, uh, you know, that long way to Shannon's story and thanks for sharing it and giving us your time today, buddy. Of course. My pleasure. And uh, thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. This has been the Eastern Oregon Connection.